Welcome to the Ascension Cast. This is the Matthew Project. I'm Jared Blue. I'm Robbie Lockett. And I'm Alexander Thomas. Thank you for joining us for part two. Hello. 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 So in chapters 21 through 23 of Matthew, um, we were, you know, in, in a situation which there was a clear tension that was arising between um, Jesus and the Pharisees and concluded um, our discussion regarding the seven woes where Jesus gives a very clear d- separation and, ch- and problems that he has with with the Pharisees and how they've been governing themselves, the hypocrisy that they present. And in 24 and 25, we're now at another stage in the conversation. And, you know, I think in the last episode, we talked a few times about scary Jesus. And um, <laughs> we're going to get full scary Jesus here for these two chapters, for sure. Um, you know, he ends chapter 23 lamenting over Jerusalem um, that if you would only have let me, I would have taken you under my wings like a hen uh, mothering her brood and instead now he turns up in chapter 24 and says the temple is coming down uh, the age is coming to a close uh, all these persecutions are going to happen the, <laughs> the, 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 des- the abomination of desolation is going to be put up in the temple the son of man is going to come on these portents of cosmic catastrophes uh, then we get a little bit more about the fig tree uh, the, the fig tree's back uh, but then he starts to exhort people to be watchful, and he gives some parables about watchfulness and, 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 and wise actions in the face of that, uh, and ends it up with you know just a small topic about the judgment of all the nations. Uh, so no, no real big things here, just the, the rapture, the end of the world, um, and some stuff. But I think Alexander has some ideas about maybe... Uh, contextualizing some of these statements in ways that I want to talk about the way we've interpreted them but uh, I wonder if there's anything we want to walk through before we get there Um, like because there is a list of good parables like the ten virgins and the in the parable of the talents and the sheep and the goats Um, before we if we look at anything though just um, as a reminder so chapters 24 and 25 are that last sermon from Jesus Mm -hmm. Um, so we nerdy people call this the all of it discourse um, it's the parable of the end time, or sorry, the sermon of the end times, I think is how we've talked about it sometimes in here. And, and one way of thinking about Matthew is all of Matthew has been leading to this point. And, and kind of in our collections of sermons from Jesus, we've, we've gone through that first sermon, Sermon on the Mount, um, how do I get into the kingdom of God? Um, and then the missionary discourse in Matthew 10, how do I share the kingdom of God? Um, and then there's Matthew 13, the series of parables. And then the last discourse we looked at is um, in Matthew 18, what do we do with disagreements in the kingdom of God? How do we become kind of a community? And then now the world's going to fall apart and everything's going to end. And so it's like, what is the kingdom of God going to look like in fruition as it comes in in its fullness? Um, and there we're going to see a lot of scary Jesus. <laughs> a lot, But he does wrap it up. I think we, when we get to the end of this thing, we, we see that he wraps it up for us in a a nice sort of usable way. It's a, it's a good sermon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so before we jump into all of the uh, eschatological stuff and uh, in the world and blow up the planet kind of a thing here, let's just take a second and look at some of these parables uh, that come at the end of 
chapter 24 and then that make up most of chapter 25 with this idea of watchfulness where um, you know you you see the the faithful and the unfaithful servant um, and obviously the the one who is preparing for the master's return is the one that's commended you see the wise and foolish maidens where some are just like that ah, he'll be here someday maybe and the, the others are ready all the time and when the mm. the the, the master walks back in. They're the ones who are commended. In uh, the same thing, sort of with the talents, where the you know the rich man gives some talents to different ones of his servants, and one of them goes out and invests and makes it all back tenfold, and another makes it back, I think, threefold, and another one basically sticks it under his mattress and says, <laughs> "I was afraid, so I didn't do anything." And it's the one who did the most work who gets commended again. Uh, and the same thing that we see there, you know, he talks about at the end with the judgment of the nations. And he says, all of you people are going to be, uh, you know, judged in the end. And I'm going to say to you, you clothed me when I was naked. You fed me when I was hungry. And then you others, I'm going to say you didn't do those things. And both groups look at him and they say, when did we or did we not do that? And... Uh, he said, when you've done that to the least of these, you've done that to me. And so I think that is this idea of this kind of unsupervised, when we don't perceive ourselves to be, uh, you know, under a watchful eye, uh, that's when we're to be about the kingdom, possibly especially so. Uh, <laughs> and um, that notion of, you know, after all of these rapturous events that Jesus talks about, what it seems to boil down to is go out and do these kingdom acts under the least of these and you will be doing what I'm telling you to do. And I think just kind of taking that further, you know, I think that um, there is in the, I guess the religious community, there does seem to be individuals that focus, um, hyper-focus on, you know, well, we need to be doing X, Y, and Z because, like, we need to have this watchful eye. A watchful eye and, you know, the return of Jesus could be, like, right now is imminent. And I think that there is, like, a degree of that being true, but I think it be can become, um, like, an obsessive form that takes place where people then are so hyper-focused on that and not then focused on the kingdom and just, like, just yeah like yeah this is like this thing or this event that will happen but we still have to continue to be focused like on the kingdom and you know being living in this world and governing ourselves and doing good things and continue to be in God's hands and feet yeah, yeah. and I, I think one thing to, to make note is that like one reason Christianity became uh, the world's most popular religion uh, is because the Christian movement was was started and for a long time was this large, as I'm so bad at saying the word, eschatological movement. It was filled with a lot of apocalyptic literature, like even even throughout parts of the New Testament where there's this idea, hey, everything's about to change. Jesus is coming back. So, you know, don't work, sell everything you have, move across the world. Uh, we're going to be this new Christian movement and do all these things. Um, but it became very clear, even while the New Testament was still being written oh we're still waiting and for a lot of christian communities they're in that kind of place of oh we're still waiting the next generation is oh we're still waiting and, and here we are two thousand years later and we're still waiting 
but a lot of that anxiety and fear uh, continues in a lot of communities. So when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in one of those churches uh, that was really big in rapture theology. So we would watch the Left Behind movies uh, on at church, and we would have judgment houses where we would do like a rapture coming and everyone had to, to get saved or they would be left behind. And it really scared me as a kid. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I, I have distinct moments multiple times. Um, like one time I was at the store and my mom went down another aisle and I'm not like three years old. I was like nine and I had like a meltdown in the store. Cause I, I thought it was one of those moments I had been left behind or another time I was a teenager and I slept in on Saturday. So my family went out and left cause I had slept too long and I lost it. I, I, I called like all my grandparents and aunts and uncles to see if anyone else was there. Did, did you grow up in like a rapture? Homer. Um, not so much at home. Uh, our church wasn't that deep into it. We the, uh, Another church in oh, town had we the spared. judgment house thing, and that's we what talked we about went on, on Halloween. <laughs> uh, and it was just horrifying, which was their point. Um, and yeah, I, I wish that I could sit here and listen to you talk and think that you're just crazy. But uh, a lot of that stuff is baked in for me, too. You know, those ideas of... Uh, you know, we mixed the, the Y2K panic in with this, like, uh, <laughs> rapture panic. And so I was pretty convinced uh, that, you know, I was there, half of my mind as the clock was ticking to 12 that night uh, was like, yeah, this will all be fine. And the other half was like, the world is probably going to end. How old were you then? Um, let's see. I was 15. Oh, okay. That? So you're, did you grow up? Would you grow up tame Baptist? What were you? I, I don't know. I guess like just like a mix or not. I, do, I feel like I very was was very familiar with the Left Behind series, like the books, and maybe like saw half of the one of the movies. Um, and I guess I, I guess I was familiar with the concept enough that like the rapture, like of how scary to me, like to be left behind, it was. I always felt like at New Year's, I felt like that was a very yeah. like build up time and like they would have the um like these services on new year's eve and it's like oh like you should be in church and like not like reveling in the streets or <laughs> and so i guess i just was very Where were you southern baptist uh, that... missionary baptist and oh, so, really? oh yeah okay. so i was thinking i don't know i guess as a child i just thought like it would like happen then you know because there would be like different songs um that were sung <laughs> and and it know. wasn't good news, was it? Like, no, we, it was going to be a bad thing when it happened. Like, nothing good was was really mi- mixed yeah. into that somehow. So, and there's like even so, then it did. I mean, kind of <laughs> move beyond that. You know, still believing like in the rapture, but like having a different perspective on it. Like, if you recall the TV show Lost, I felt like oh, at I first I was like a yeah. little. I mean, I love the show, but like at first, I was like I don't know if I want to watch this because like. It just feels very like, you know, left behind and like on the big screen. So, well, I, mean, I think all of us are familiar with left behind movies and not to, or books and movies, whatever they are. And not, not, not to discredit anything that someone enjoys, but um, there is a lot of anxiety that's carried with it. And it is a particularly uh, Americanly evangelical movement. And even the whole idea of like rapture is, is about a 200 year old idea. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but, but just to say a lot of this, all of it discourse and other apocalyptic literature, um, apocalyptic doesn't just mean future. It's kind of the idea of God's more direct involvement in the world due to issues. And so God's coming in, being more involved in doing something. 
a lot of times it has the idea to do with judgment, but not necessarily. A lot of this apocalyptic literature, it, it is ethical in the sense that it calls us to action. Um, a lot of the times it's going to include a lot of like scriptural prophecy. It's definitely going to talk about things in the future. But the biggest thing about apocalyptic literature, it talks about the past. Um, and it's talking about what's relevant to the people it's written to. And so here in just a moment, I'm going to walk us through some of the different ways Christians have interpreted um, different apocalyptic literature, including here in Matthew, as well as the other Gospels and the Epistles, some Old Testament things, and Revelation. So get ready, because here we go. <laughs> okay, so there is kind of four ways people tend to look at apocalyptic literature. One of it is just as allegorical. And so that would be the sense that all the things throughout scripture, they're not talking about anything specific. Um, it's talking about meaning. So maybe the, the cosmic fight of good and evil or your personal fight of good and evil. And, and all of these things that Jesus is talking about, um, they're just allegory. Um, it's supposed to help you be a better person, help you be a better Christian, hopefully help the world be a better place, but that's it. It's not tied into any type of history, future or present. Um, it's just allegory. The next is historical, or we call it the historicist. Um, and so this was actually the most popular view during the Protestant Reformation. Prior to that, it was really allegorical. And the historicist kind of looks at um, apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature as being uh, a paintbrush for the wide spans of history. And so how that was relevant to the early reformers was the Pope was the Antichrist. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. And so they would look at these things as kind of describing large ages. And so they'd be like, that was the age of the church. And that was the age of the good church. That was the age of the church falling away. Um, and then like for, for them, it was the Islamic empire rising up in Spain. That was like the great persecution mm. uh, and, and different kind of swaths like that. Uh, that's the historicist. They're, they're kind of looking at it as, as being a timetable throughout history. There's also the preterist. Um, the preterist is those who would say all apocalyptic literature, or most of it at least, are describing past events. So, for instance, what we're talking about here in Matthew is not talking about some great future Christian tribulation. It's talking about the Christian tribulation that happened when the New Testament was written. Or it's not talking about some future destruction. It's talking about the temple being destroyed um, in, in 70 AD. Kind of that idea. That's the preterist. It's all past. And then there's uh, the fun one, and that's the futurist. And that's where you get all the weird graphs and charts and stuff. And so the futurist are those who take apocalyptic literature as solely or primarily describing the future. So that's kind of our four lenses that people look at. And I'll say most people have some kind of blend. Um, there's some line of allegorical, and then in the timeline, they're going to look at it as being the future from us in the past, uh, from when the Bible was written, um, or the historicist. It's kind of describing the timetables of history. And then that turns into, though, like some different perspectives people have on the end times. And so um, do you know any that you know you got a name? Well, no, there are millenarians and oh, a yeah. millenarians and uh, the post and pre-tribulationists and then you mix together whether there's a millennium and whether there's a, a tribulation and when the rapture comes or if it comes and uh, uh, yeah. all of these fun things that uh, 
good bad around. Do you know any I, I do not know form? any. This okay. is all new to so, me. We're not going to go in as much detail as you were about tribulation stuff, but um, so the most popular for most Christians is all millennial, and so typically Christians talk about their future times by how they talk about the millennium. So in Revelation, it talks about this thousand-year period that Jesus reigns, uh, and so the all millennialists say um, there is no thousand years; it, it's absent one thousand years, um, and they they take that thousand-year age to describe. Um, a long time that Jesus is king of the world. <laughs> um, and then there's the post-millennialist. Um, that was one of those ones that was really popular before World War I, and then it kind of fell by the wayside. Um, post-millennialist would look at um, there being a millennium after, kind of like a at the end, like that the world develops until Christ reigns, and the world gets better and improves and, and up until World War One, it looked like things were really improving because nations were working together until they didn't. And everyone went, wait, wait a second. I don't like that idea. Um, the One of the older ones, it's called classical premillennialism. So that's the idea that this great tribulation is going to happen. Um, and then there's this, you know, that thousand year time. And then there's like a newer one on the block that you might be more familiar with. And that's dispensational premillennialism. Um, without getting into too much detail about why it's called that, um, the idea of dispensations is there's these like directed times from God and it comes from the book of Daniel. Um, but that's the idea where all of the rapture type theology mm. comes from. Um, and as a note about like rapture theology, it really wasn't an idea until in the mid 1800s, there was a prophetess that had a vision and it was related to like the flood and all this other stuff, but she had this vision of a rapture and it's from an interpretation, a strange interpretation in the book of Thessalonians. Um, and there was this guy that heard her vision and wrote it in his notes. His name was Schofield and he wrote the Schofield reference Bible. And it just so happened that became the popular print in the U S and it just kind of took off like wildfire. It, uh, was, it was really kind of a publishing you know, I don't. It just happened. It was, yeah. it was the, the the book itself, the the Schofield reference Bible was a, it was a King James Bible with all of uh, C. I. Schofield's notes at the bottom of, of the page, just a study Bible, uh, which was not that was kind of a, a novel thing to have a study Bible at all at, at the time. Um, you, you know, I think the first one was 1907, and then there's a 1917 or something edition. You can still buy one. Oxford still prints them. Um, <laughs> really? Mid-century, they printed them really yeah. nicely. You got a, a nice leather Bible. It was probably a Schofield KJV. And so everybody had this stuff, and it just had all of these notes baked in. And so it became this the way everyone thought. Yeah, and it was kind of a strange phenomenon because like, the idea of like rapture theology, which is, if you don't know what that means, it's the idea that like suddenly... Uh, Jesus appears in the sky and all the Christians disappear and go away. And then, so Jesus has a half coming back and then all the Christians go away. And then there's some amount of time that either happens like before Christians are pers or the world's persecuted or in the middle of it or at the end of it after a persecution. It's kind of confusing. Um, but then Jesus sets up his reign after it doesn't really make sense to me. <laughs> well, there, people mix, kind of mix and match those different events and put them uh, all on, in these places. In, in yeah. So orders. Jesus has like four coming backs sometimes. Yeah. Um, um, but that is to say, like, there is a lot of different views that there is for looking at things. Um, for like, 
most people, like the most kind of Christian standard view, uh, at least in kind of our circles, uh, is that kind of all millennialist view. Um, some people call themselves hopeful all millennialist, which is like in some sense that they view themselves as bringing the, the world to become God's kingdom uh, by improving the world, which is, which is why Christians historically were the ones that made hospitals and food pantries and took care of orphans and, and, and cared about the beautification of the earth and, and building beautiful things and good art because we're, we're making the world more godlike. Uh, more beautiful, more true. I think in a lot of ways, the, the the name amillennialism is sort of a misnomer because it's not, for the most part, that amillennialists don't think there's a millennium. They think we are in the millennium. That this is Christ's this is the reign, the reign of Christ. This yeah, is when we're supposed and to be it, and it got that name because suddenly people are like, oh, we need to figure things out. What do we call those guys that don't say them? Oh, they don't believe there is a millennium. We yeah. call them that. Um, and I'd say most Christians throughout time had some kind of blend of allegorical and preterist. And, and maybe slightly futurist type views, um, uh, which is okay. It's okay to have a blend and you don't have to figure it out. So I was going to offer you a, a new view that my father-in-law likes to call him. He says he's a pan millennialist. It'll just all pan <laughs> out in the <laughs> end. Um, but the hope when we look at these things, it can be really confusing. I think looking at some of the historical background and the, and the nerdy terminology might help us. Um, but the most thing is um, the reason apocalyptic literature is given um, it's a, to make us more aware of the world that's going around around us, uh, because the reality is, uh, the news matters. Um, and we should be involved in those things and care about what happens. Um, but the other part is it's an alertness for ourselves to, to think about the way we live and why do we live the way we live? Um, what kind of way am I leading history to go? Uh, and it also helps me keep in mind about the kingdom of God and where I am in the kingdom of God. And, and I think because of that, confusingness, we have a tendency to overlook apocalyptic literature when really it's something that can be um, profound and prompting us to be some of the best people in God's kingdom. And we don't have to be scared about all the details. I think too, you know, we discussed the notion of all of us, I think, felt various levels of just outright fear about, you know, is that going to happen right now and I'm going to get caught up in it and that's going to be terrible. But we see you know, after Jesus talks about all of those sort of apocalyptic things in, in, in this passage, he follows it up with those parables about watchfulness. And so it's, whatever it is that's going to happen, it, it's not just this thing in which we have no agency. We're able mm-hmm. to be watchful and be prepared. And uh, that seems to mean do things like the great commandment. <laughs> Love yeah. our neighbor. Yeah. 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 It, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily involve... Uh, uh, hoarding and prepping and all of those uh, different things. It's more of... I still have my prep boxes in my closet at home. Wait, people might not know what prep boxes are. So, okay, this isn't a joke. So we, we still have things from our family that are like to-go food and like like safety water filtration and shoes and like safety tits for like in case the rapture comes or a tribulation comes, we're ready to flee to the mountains as a family. Oh wow! And like and have like not like radio like satellite radio. What are those ham radios uh-huh. mm-hmm. and stuff? Like we have it all <laughs> already. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alex, I didn't know anything about that, so that is like pretty. <laughs> that was probably way too much information. That was good, definitely. great information to know. Um, and, but I think that this definitely is just setting us all up for 
as we approach the conclusion of Matthew and, and many sections of Matthew, which we're all very familiar with um, to the, the crucifixion of Jesus and the buildup of that. Um, and so I look forward to discussing that with you all on the next um, episode that we do. Yeah, and I think we're finishing out the book of Matthew. So I think so. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we could do this special episode of weirdness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I look forward to some of the more traditional parts, especially resurrection. And yes. the hope is that as Jesus rises, all of us can rise again too. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us here on the Ascension Cast for our kind of strange episode. Uh, but you are always welcome to join us each week here at the Episcopal Church of the Ascension for our adult formation at 9 a.m. Peace. Peace. Peace.